The opinions expressed on this WebmasterRadio.fm program are those of the host, guests, and callers, and do not reflect those of the staff, management, or advertisers of WebmasterRadio.fm. Any rebroadcast or retransmission of this program without the express written consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. Cover story. Cover a story or attain that coveted story. Get it? That is exactly what you want. Quoted as the expert. The story. Headline. The spin. Every week, join us to talk about all things important to relating to the public. Your public. Craft your image. Promote your products. Create expert status. Become the buzz. Join us with the pros. PR 101. Crisis management. Media blitzing. It's all here on Cover Story. We're reserving a headline for you. From the official radio network of the PRSA, WebmasterRadio.fm presents exclusive coverage of the annual Public Relations Society of America's International Conference. The PRSA International Conference is the public relations industry's largest annual learning and networking event drawing thousands of public relations and communications professionals from all practice areas and share, make industry connections, and ultimately advance their careers. This year's conference theme, Delivering Value, recognizes public relations role as a driver of business outcomes central to organizational success and the value that public relations professionals deliver to clients and their own organizations. Conference attendees may choose from more than 80 professional development sessions led by 175 of the best and brightest industry thought leaders. Sessions focus on everything from innovative public relations strategies to effective tactics and techniques to industry best practices. More than one quarter of the conference learning sessions will focus on new and social media strategies, tactics, and measurement. Reflective of the economic times, the conference will feature several sessions on communicating during times of economic weakness, including managing financial communications in the age of restructuring, crisis, and litigation, keeping employees focused during tough economic times. When a recession hits, reputation matters more than ever. How to leverage technology to meet strategic communication goals during a downsized economy and how to build your public relations career in a challenging economy. This year's event will take place November 7th through 10, 2009 at the San Diego Marriott Hotel in Merida. For more information or to register, please visit www.prsa.org forward slash IC 2009. Now, here is your host. Hello, everyone. This is Brandi Shapiro-Babin of WebmasterRadio.fm. Today, I'm joined by Shanali Burke, ABC, who is an accredited, award-winning communications consultant with more than 12 years in the field. She's also an adjunct faculty for John Hopkins University's highly regarded uh, Master's in Communications program, where she teaches, quote, communications.org, non-for-profits in the digital age. She's worked in two continents and on both coasts of the United States, and her experience includes several verticals for the non- and for-profit industries with both small and large public relations agencies. Prior to starting her consultant in 2008, Shanali was the ASPCA's Vice President Media and Communications, where she was critical in reinventing the organization's communications function in its quest to be a leading resource on animal welfare, focusing on research-based, strategic, measurable, and integrated communications. Working with the measurement leaders of KD Payne and Partners, she also put in place the organization's award-winning communications measurement program, which is fast becoming known in the industry as a gold standard for nonprofit communications measurements. And Chanel I was named one of the top 40 under 40 public relations professionals in the United States by PR Week. She will be starring on the track number four, the business case for public relations from ROI, that's return on investment, to KPI, which is key performance indicators, practical solutions to measurement conundrums. And uh, the descriptor for this specific session is, we've started to set standards for public relations and communications measurements that pass muster when compared to other business metrics. Standards that are slowly becoming acknowledged and implemented industry-wide. Yet, how do you measure social media, let alone traditional media? Learn how to go from measurement novice to maven, how to incorporate measurable objectives into a communication plan, and how to connect public relations outcomes to business objectives to demonstrate true value. Now, I understand, Shanali, that you are 
a measurement maven. Please, welcome to Cover Story. Thanks so much for having me, Brandy. I'm, I'm very excited to have you here. Very excited to have you here. And, I mean, this is social media and understanding social media and implementing it into um, businesses, big and small, is becoming, I mean, is becoming obviously very commonplace. But utilizing it and measuring it is a completely different matter. So can you, can you talk to me? Can we first begin with understanding exactly what social media is? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, it's, it's almost, um, to me, it's a little bit of a misnomer because media, by, by just the virtue of what it is, is supposed to be social. It's supposed to be two-way communication. And um, I, I think, though, when you think about social media, the way that it's defined now is... Um, media that is disseminated across platforms that allow for that two-way communication or engagement that perhaps traditional media did not allow for. And obviously, that has had a lot to do with the way technology has just grown by leaps and bounds, the uh, facility that social networking platforms such as MySpace and Facebook and Twitter allow for people to communicate and to connect back and forth. And it's become, I think, a very much more... um, of a community feeling and, a, and, and and almost a communal platform rather than someone, a brand or a company or an organization speaking to their audience or speaking at their audience through traditional media, through, you know, what people like to call their tree media. Um, but but with, with the social element um, now in through these different platforms, people can actually talk back or talk to each other. And I guess that is what um, people are excited about. And, um, you know, quite frankly, a lot of folks are still grappling with how to deal with it. Okay, so let's talk about grappling. Because, Mm -hmm. I mean, because we are in the age of transparency. And when you talk about traditional media, it used to be a conversation that was a a defined conversation. It was a one-way conversation and now you know you don't have control per se of what's being said about you out there right so how do you you know from again i understand you know you are um, an agency of one and you are really committed to creating social media strategies for your company for the you know for your client companies can can you sort of lay out for us you know uh, like a typical how you would help a company create a strategy that is correct for them and then of course is measurable so that they can define at the back end yeah. Uh, you know, I think what is really important for everyone to remember, and I talk and write about this quite a bit, is that just because we've got this quote-unquote shiny new toy of social media now, it doesn't mean that you throw out communication best practices. You, you know, you, you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, as right. it were. Um, over the decades, there have been amazing practitioners who have worked in the field, who have researched, and who have developed really, really great communication models. And the basic uh, model or, or the basic tenets of good communication are that number one, you've got to you've got to start with um, clearly defined, measurable objectives. You've got to know what your outcomes are going to be. You've got to know who you're talking to. You've got to know who your audience is, because how you communicate with different audiences and the methods you use to communicate them are going to be different. And then you put in place your strategy and your tactics that are going to enable you to communicate with these different audiences. So I think what what a lot of times people forget is that if you've always got to go back to research. You know, nowadays um, you've got a lot of great tools out there to be able to conduct primary research with, um, even if you don't have the budget to go with a big-name research firm and do, you know, a huge omnibus interview or a telephone survey or whatever it is, or the mix of different research methodologies. At the very least, you can put together a decent online survey and field it and get a sense of what your audience is thinking on the issues that you want to talk about with them, whether you want to raise awareness or whatever whatever your goals are. And once you actually do that, I think it's really important to begin the conversation right there because you can't understand how to reach those people if you don't know what drives them. Um, So I think that is... That's kind of the basis of, of where I start with my clients and, and 
you know, I have to say, many of the amazing communication PR practitioners out there know this, and they haven't forgotten that just because social media is in the mix now, uh, that they can't um, ignore the research part of it. So uh, once you do that, and at the same time, you've got to sit down with your client and say, well, what are we trying to achieve? Because mm-hmm. in, you know, just a few years ago, it was about buzz. It was about impressions. Um, right. It was, out, it was about outputs. The New York Times mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. But if your target audience is not reading the New York Times, what good does that do you? It might be a great name publication. Mm-hmm. You may get a great story in there working with your media contacts that you've built up relationships with. Your key messages are all in there. You know, you're in the headline, you have a photo, all that stuff. But, but if you're trying to reach someone who doesn't read that, it's, it's really not going to do you much good. Right, it's just a posterity. So, it's just, just for posterity. But let me ask you a question. I mean, because you're right. Everything used to be, you know, out, you know about the output and not always about mm-hmm. the outcome. But right. when you talk about research and understanding, you know, because obviously there, there's different audiences internal to each organization, how do you help each company understand, you know, the various audiences um, that pertain to their organization and and create an outreach so you understand how to create your key messaging points to engage them from a social media perspective? So I think what is really important for everyone to understand and remember is that if you are not engaging the communication outreach and objectives that support your business goals or your organization's goals and objectives, they're probably not going to do you much good. So where you start is going back to the business plan, the strategic goals for the organization as a whole. You need to be talking to your executives, to your senior leadership, saying, what are we trying to achieve as an organization over the next, you know, one year, five years, whatever it is. And most most organizations will have very, very detailed strategic plans in place. And then you look at those objectives, and then that's where you say, okay, well, this is how we need to start applying communications to support these objectives. But what I've seen is that when you actually do that, then you can really start zeroing in on who the audiences are that you need to reach. And, you know, invariably the media is going to be one of them. Who are the other audiences? Um, You know, if you're an animal welfare organization, obviously pet parents, as we used to call them uh, when I was in, in that business, are an incredibly important audience. Um, if you are, you know, selling, I don't know, baby clothes, then then moms are a really important audience. Parents are a really important audience. I think the more time and attention that you spend on actually honing your audiences, the easier you're going to find it to build the rest of your plan. I mean, to me, it's like, you know, if you start out with the end in sight, then you really have something to work towards. So it's like know what you're aiming for and Mm -hmm. work backwards from that, and and everything will just fall into place. Not necessarily overnight, but... But it, there will be a structure to it. But okay, so let's let's talk about you know. Obviously, there's a lot of talk about Twitter. You know, Twitter's mm-hmm. really becoming. Uh, I, you know, children are being able to communicate, learning to communicate in 140 characters or less. <laughs> uh, you know, you've got Twitter, you've got Facebook, you've got YouTube, uh, LinkedIn. You know, there's so many different areas for social media that a lot of times you see companies participating because they feel that they should. Right, but. How, how do, can you measure your results and what is the foundation to, um, to creating that sort of outreach, um, you know, in social media? You know, I think, again, you've got to um, really evaluate which of these platforms your audiences are on. Um, you can spend a lot of time building up a great presence on Facebook, for example, but if your audience isn't congregating there, the kind of people you want to reach, whether it's your current audience, or your target audience, and then you're going to waste a lot of a lot of effort um, and time in doing that. So I think that's one of the things that organizations really need to understand. Just because a particular platform or network is hot doesn't mean that it is hot for you. You know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. Um, and and then the other thing is that so again that goes back to the research. And um, the other thing is that there is a huge difference in being on one of these platforms and actively engaging and participating on one of the platforms. And I see countless examples of this because, I mean, I'm on, you know, quite a few of them. My personal favorite is Twitter. I just love it to death. If (laughs) Twitter was sitting in front of me, I'd be pinching that little bluebird's cheeks. No. But (laughs) um, I see 
brands and organizations that are talking at people all the time. And when I go through their Twitter feeds, I'm seeing very, very little engagement or comments back to people. And Twitter is a great way to crowdsource. It's a great way to do informal research. It's a great way to kind of feel the pulse of what's going on. Um, And if you're not really doing that, I don't think you're taking advantage of it to the extent that you could. Um, And it's not going to be easy for you to build up a community because at the end of the day, what do people want? All these organizations, they want they want to build communities. That that is what social media is about, right? You want to have um, a base of people that you can educate about your initiatives, your goals that you cultivate to become your you know, your people as well, and then you motivate them to do something. You, at the end of the day, everybody, every brand, every organization needs its constituents to do something, whether that is buy products, Mm -hmm. sign up as members, donate money, whatever those things are. And those things are driving the business. Those are the things that your your business outcomes are going to be. Um, But you're not going to get there if you don't engage and actually cultivate that community. Well, and I think that's very important. So what, you know, what you're really saying is, you know, first of all, understanding who your audience is, understanding what your business objectives are and targeting, whether it be bloggers or through Twitter, understanding who that audience is, cultivating a true relationship with with these audiences so that now you also have, you know, a bunch of people evangelizing you and participating in in your company so that you're receiving several different things. One is information in regard to how you as an organization can do things easier, better, and faster and deliver to them what they need. Exactly. And then, of course, you end up having like this army of people out there promoting you as well, but you have to set the foundation for that two-way conversation. Exactly. And you know, the other thing, Brandy, um, and I think we might have touched on this earlier, is that when uh, in the in the earlier days, um, you know, when when there was this model of one way communication, it was this kind of thing about talking at people and not really talking to them. There was this whole thing about well, we need to control our messages, and I think that's the thing. One of the things that brands and organizations, some of them, are still not getting because. You can control your message to a certain extent in the sense that when you work on them um, in-house, you can develop them, tighten them up, make them the absolute best that you can. But you know what? Even in the old days of quote-unquote traditional debt-free media, you had no control over those messages once they were out the door. Once you actually spoke Mm -hmm. to the media, once Mm -hmm. the story was out there, you had no control about, number one, how the media was going to present it, and number two, what people were going to do upon reading that story or hearing it. And how they internalized Absolutely. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, that is a huge fear for a lot of organizations also kind of wary about how much they get into social media um, should they, shouldn't they how can they control it, we don't want people going off the wall, but the point is that if you're the, number one, these conversations are taking place, you know whether you like it or not, they're taking place by email they're taking place right. by phone, they're taking place right. in all of these different platforms that are out there so if you're not at least apart. out there monitoring mm-hmm. what's going on, you're doing yourself a huge disservice because if you don't know what people are saying there's no way that either you can build on it if there's if it's good stuff, or that you could fix it if it's bad stuff. Absolutely. And um, and by getting out there in a really um, you know comprehensive fashion and engaging with them, you may not be able to control the message, but at least you can try to organize it and you can show that you are in an active participant in that conversation, building yourself up positioning yourself as the authentic voice for that brand or the organization so that you build that trust. At the end of the day, public relations, communication is about trust between an organization and its constituents. If you don't have that trust, you're not going to be able to do anything. Well, in learning to speak, I think that was extremely well said. And I think, you know, really what you're saying, too, is is, is speaking in that audience's language so they Mm -hmm. can hear you. And, you know, because we we've see that so much when you have, you know, companies that are, you know, doing an outreach program, but they're they're speaking in, um, you know, in their own company's jargon instead of speaking to their constituents in a way that's going to enroll them. Exactly. Now, let me ask you a question because this is a last question. What are some of the best ways to measure 
I think at the end of the day, you have to know what your organization's KPIs are, the key performance indicators. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have to be very many. You could just start with one or two, and you um, you say, okay, these are the things that really drive the business. For example, a non-profit organization, the OESPCA where I worked, the two really important KPIs that were given to us as a PR and media team were website traffic and donations to the organization through the main web portal, ASPCA.org. The, the development team mm-hmm. had basically a formula where they could they, they could calculate, depending on how many unique visitors we could draw to the website, how many of those would convert into registered users, people who give their names and email addresses for the ASPCA to communicate with them. And, uh, and then how many of those registered users would actually start donating to the organization and become members and what value they would bring to the organization in terms of dollars over their lifetimes. So it was a very clear correlation. And we said, okay, that's great. And so our efforts, well, certainly, you know, there were things like responding um, on various issues and all of that stuff. We really tried to make sure that we were driving people to the website for more information. Again, information is really, really critical. Right. So, And landing pages, uh, did you find that as well to, to be a like a good... Uh, indicator from a measurement standpoint? I'm sorry, what was that? L- you know, sending people maybe potentially to different landing pages, like let's say from a yep, Twitter campaign. exactly. Okay. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay. And incorporating all that into into our different pieces of communication. And and then um, after, after a year of putting this measurement program in place where we were doing content analysis and all of that other stuff, but we were also getting reports from the web team on traffic donations and things, we saw very, very clear correlations between our outputs um, and again, you know, that was very basic or just like an impression count, but between the the stuff that we were putting out there and visits to the various pages and these two KPIs, there was a very, very clear correlation. And I think that is what is important for people to understand. Um, it, it, it doesn't have to be tough. It doesn't have to be very complicated. You can just start with, like I said, two KPIs or three KPIs or whatever it is. Make sure that your management team and tells you what they are mm-hmm. or that you're on the Absolutely. same page about what they are. Because, you know, if you're tracking, you know, sign-ups to a newsletter and they couldn't care less about that, Absolutely. that's again a waste of exactly. time. Um, and, 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 I, and correlating your efforts to those. Um, a lot of things with social media obviously are tracking things like engagements, conversations on Twitter, you know, retweets, how many times someone is forwarding something. And especially with the explosion of online analytical tools, and just Google Analytics is great and it's free, mm-hmm. um, you don't have to have a huge budget plan to, to track a lot of this stuff. But you've got to be very clear about what you're tracking. You know, if you're just going to track um, fans, the number of fans to a page or the number of followers, all that is great. And I'm not saying don't do it. But that's very much just like measuring only impressions, only outputs. Um, because if those numbers aren't actually converting into something, and when you need your followers or your fans to do something for you, they're not doing it, then there's something missing there. Right, absolutely. I mean, you want something that gives you strong outcomes that correlates, obviously, to your, your KPIs and translates into ROI. Exactly. Uh, you know, um, Shanalai, I'm so excited that you've been here today. Absolutely the gold standard of understanding measurement for social media. Uh Everyone, please make sure you attend her track, The Business Case for Public Relations from ROI to KPI, Practical Solutions to Measurement Conundrums. Uh, We'll see you in San Diego. Thank you so much for your contribution and your participation today. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to exclusive coverage of the annual Public Relations Society of America's International Conference, only on webmasterradio.fm. Career success. With it comes a better salary, greater responsibility, and industry prestige. Increase your chance for success by attending the PRSA 2009 International Conference, November 7 through 10 in San Diego. Learn from public relations thought leaders as they discuss the industry's hottest issues, from social media to social responsibility. Hear keynoters Ariana Huffington. Todd Buchholz and Bob Garfield break down world events that influence business and affect you and network with industry contacts who can help you get ahead. 
Log on now to reserve your spot at the PRSA 2009 International Conference. To register, go to www.prsa.org. That's www.prsa.org. Stick around. Cover story. We'll be back after this short break. This is a test of the PR Web content and news delivery system from PR Web and PRWebOffer.com. If this was a real release date, your story would reach more than 30,000 journalists, 250,000 RSS subscribers, and just over 30,000 unique websites. PR Web can reach your target audience online, drive traffic to your website, achieve high rankings on search engines, and get your content on top news sites like Yahoo News. Editors are available 24-7 to help you optimize your content for maximum exposure to over 70 million people in the U.S. alone. If this were a real PR web release date, your website would have so much traffic, you'd be tempted to duck and cover. If you have an online marketing emergency, go to prweboffer.com for 25% off. PR Web, the premier online news release and content distribution service. How do you choose the right affiliate network to partner with? The answer is simple. MarketHealth.com, where health and wealth connect. Established in 1998, the MarketHealth.com affiliate network allows you to market and promote the world's leading health and beauty offers on the net. Start making recurring income and the highest payouts in our industry. Choose from over 50 of the hottest selling offers, ranging from herbal supplements, skincare, vitamins, beauty products, weight loss, and much more. Sign up for free at MarketHealth.com and start making money today. Are you happy with your landing page performance? Discover how to improve your landing page performance with ConversionCritic.com. Brought to you by Engine Ready. Turn your underperforming landing pages into cost-effective sales-producing machines. Be sure you're not wasting your precious PPC budget. Conversion Critic tools give you the ingredients to create high converting landing pages. You don't have to be an expert to use Engine Ready's Conversion Critic tools, but you'll feel like a landing page pro. Take the guesswork out of increasing your conversion rate. Visit conversioncritic.com and boost your conversion rate for free. That's www.conversioncritic.com. Life tips. Making your life smarter, better, faster, wiser. Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. Or on demand anytime inside the entertainment channel. Only on webmasterradio.fm. Commercials off. Now back to Cover Story. We're reserving a headline for you. Only on webmasterradio.fm. Here's your host. From the official radio network of the PRSA, WebmasterRadio.fm presents exclusive coverage of the annual Public Relations Society of America's International Conference. Now, here is your host. Hello, everyone. This is Brandy Shapiro-Babin of WebmasterRadio.fm. Uh, very excited. Today, we are focusing on continuing coverage of the Public Relations Society of America's 2009 conference. We have two terrific guests with us today here on Cover Story. We have Gail Falkenthal, who is president of the Falcon Group, a San Diego-based communications consulting company. She also hosts her own radio show on uh, KCBQ. She spent 15 years as an award-winning broadcast editor, producer, and host before transitioning into public relations career. Her clients include a range of nonprofit and public organizations, corporate and business clients. She is the accreditation co-chair for the San Diego chapter of the PRSA, of course, a chapter that is hosting this year's Public Relations Society of America's International Conference. And her area of expertise include crisis communications, media relations, media training, strategic planning, and the oh-so-important ethics arena of doing business. Uh, she earned her bachelor's degree in radio, television, and a master's degree in mass communication from San Diego State University. Uh, we are also joined by Joan Gladstone, who founded Gladstone International in 1989. She's focused her 30-plus years of public relations experience to build Gladstone International's reputation as one of the leading issues in crisis communication firms in the Southern, Southern California. 
Joan is the author of Starting and Growing Your Own PR Firm, a best-selling book published by the PRSA. In addition to her own consulting practice, she is Assistant Professor of Public Relations and Advertising for Chapman University in Orange, California. And Joan is also a member of the PRSA College of Fellows, which is awarded for Lifetime Achievement. Now, listen up, people. This prestigious award has been presented to fewer than 500 public relations professionals worldwide over the past 20 years. Um, they are going to be speaking on a, a panel which is sponsored by the Independent Practitioners Alliance. It's called Let's Talk Business. Independent practitioners share advice for new and established PR practices. Um, also on that panel is Jennifer Heinley, president of J&J Consulting, who is not joining us today. Big deep breath and a big happy welcome. Welcome, Gail, and welcome, Joan. Thank you so much. This, this Thank is you. Terrific. We're very excited to have you today. So I understand, really, I mean, you both have str- such a, a strong background in public relations, but for the purpose of, the, of this interview and uh, what you're going to be contributing at the conference, Gail, you're going to be talking about starting a public relations firm, and then Joan talking about growing your public relations firm. So let's start with you, Gail. I mean, you know, now we're considered to be tenuous times, but so how does one gain the gumption and the foundation to go out and start a PR firm? Well, in my case, and I think it's going to be true for a lot of people right now, I got laid off three times in about four and a half years. And I thought, at the point of the third one, you know, I want to take my career into my own hands. It's time. And it uh, was also a case of, you know, there's really nowhere to go but up at this point. Let's give this a shot. I had, during my two previous layoffs, gotten quite a bit of freelance work, you know, project work thrown at me. And that, in part, gave me the confidence I think a lot of our fellow practitioners are in the same position. They're concerned about downsizing. They're concerned about their own personal growth opportunities in this economy. Um, And there really couldn't be a better time because it is true in so many ways. You have nothing to lose by giving this a try and so much to gain. Okay, but let's talk about, you know, if we could, and then, then of course, I want to include Joan in this conversation because it's so important. You know, yes, you need to have passion in what you do. And like you said, you know, it's unfortunate you got laid off three times. Take your destiny into your own hands. But what are some of the things you need to know? I mean, because you've been through this. You know, you've got a prestigious firm yourself. You know, I understand, you know, you start off, you're doing some, you know, side work, which allows you to understand and develop um, you know, client relations, but that foundation, that foundation to create and start the business. What are some of the strengths and some of the pitfalls to be wary of? Well, first of all, you do have to, besides having the passion, have to have your financial ducks in a row. Now, that doesn't mean you have to have a huge, huge bank account, but you do have to educate yourself a little bit about money management. And there's a lot of ways to do that. There are a lot of great books out there. And there are a lot of great people out there willing to teach you. One of the best places to start is your own bank. (laughs) And what I advise people to do is stop using that darn ATM all the time. They're great. They're convenient. They're wonderful. But build a relationship with the people inside your bank and let them help you. I have the best business banking relationship in the world and it's simply the bank where I was doing my personal checking. And you're saying that this is... My parents were in business for themselves and and funny enough, when ATMs came around, um, I remember my mother talking about them and she said, they're all great, but I need those people inside the bank to know who I am, to have a relationship with me so that when I have questions or need help, uh, we have a relationship and they're willing to put themselves on the line for me, me personally. You know, and I think you made a really good point. I mean, everything in life is about relationships, and especially when it comes to public relations. It's about relationships. And so, in addition to a great banking relationship, find a great CPA, someone who 
is not going to be the same person who just does your annual tax return, mm-hmm. but in a sense, your CFO. And that's what I did when I started. I found a small business CPA who I said, you are now my CFO. You are going to help me make money in my own business. Which is super smart. Now, you made an interesting point. Help me make money in my own business. So things that people wouldn't think about. How could a CPA help contribute to your bottom line? I would send my CPA my monthly financial statements. He would review them and point out any areas where I was vulnerable and give me great advice as to how to improve the following month. Which which is a really good information because, I mean, for me, when I first started my own business, I did the same thing and I, I sent out my own invoices. And I couldn't understand why a client was only paying me a quarter of what they should. I thought, did I do something horribly wrong? <laughs> Why, yes, I did. I sent them a bill for a quarter of the amount of money. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> they, they thought, I just like them so much. And, you know, you have to be a person of your word. So I, you know, I, I absorbed that loss. But, yes, I think build, focus on your areas of expertise and bring in people to consult with you so you can create that strong foundation. So, Gail, what, what else did you do that really helped you create that strong base? And, and confidence, too. Like, you're going out on your own. It's one thing to work for a company maybe take on some side projects, but now you're, you're walking solo on that tightrope. One thing I wanted to do right from the get-go was establish my brand. That's something we do for our clients all the time. That is something we know how to do, unlike a lot of us who don't come in naturally being good at money management. To take time to think, what do you stand for? What is your area of expertise? What do you want that to look like visually? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Probably my biggest investment right at the beginning was in really first-rate graphic design help, logo design, and then all the nice things that go with that letterhead stationery. At first, it was because I wanted to look sort of bigger and badder than I felt. Absolutely. You know what, but <laughs> you know, absolutely. sort of puffed myself up. Perception and is reality. I'll tell you, it, it worked. It, it has always um, put me right on the map. I, uh, my branding, my name is very visual. And when I send a bill or an invoice or a piece of correspondence, it's not a paper that rolled off a computer. And it makes me look like a much bigger firm than I am. Yeah, you know what? Because perception is reality. So both to you, you know, to to Gail and to Joan, I'd love to hear about your first big win that, mm-hmm. like, you know, when you both said to yourself, I'm in business now. Well, I'll yeah, start. I uh, had relationships through PRSA in the Orange County chapter. And when I started my business, I felt I would spend about six months making cold calls, just mm-hmm. getting appointments with people. So I walked into the headquarters of one of the largest corporations in Orange County to meet with the PR manager, and I sat down and presented my capabilities. At the end of the meeting, he said, I have three projects for you. (laughs) That's great. And I walked out of his office. My feet were not touching the ground. I was floating. I couldn't believe that he would entrust three projects in me so immediately, and that was the moment I felt that I launched my business. It was wonderful. Good for you. Good for you. And and putting yourself... So what I'm hearing from you is really putting yourself out there, you know, trying to have realistic goals, because I think it's, you know, when you, when you maybe look at things from a worst case scenario with the best hopes, but put yourself out there, you can make anything happen. Absolutely. Terrific. And Gail, for you... What was your first, you know, you, you created the branding for your company, you had your key differentiators. What was that big win that made you say, I'm a real business? You know what I mean? It's not just me pretending and, and putting out that, that persona, but I have a real business. The, the, the moment was after my third layoff, which I knew was coming very six months in advance. So I had the chance to get my business ready to go. I had moonlighting clients. They were small. Mm-hmm. So I knew I'd get along for a little while. The last week I was with my former employer, they came to me and said, you know, we can't afford to keep everybody. That was the reason for my layoff. Uh, but could we hire your business? 
So they laid me off, turned around, and hired me as a consultant. And at first, the relationship was only supposed to be a few months to get them on their feet. It lasted five years. You know what? And what a beautiful compliment to you that... You know, the people that laid you off believed in you so much that they kept you on. And, and, and that was the beginning of, of, of your business becoming real and substantial. And, you know, that's a really it's good point a good because feeling. I think a lot of people who start their companies feel they have to go mining in completely new areas. Mm-hmm. So one of the major ways to boost your your launch and get off to a great footing is to think of the relationships you've built in your career and contact everyone and be proud and say, I'm so excited. I've started my new business. If you could ever use some help. You know, it's it's just thinking about the relationships you've had. When I started, I sent out a an announcement card to everyone I ever met in my entire life. <laughs> there were like 750 people, and I never expected anyone to call me, and they did. Good, you know what? So it's the karma, you know, putting that, that energy out, and then it starts to become returned. You know, and it's true. I mean, Keith Ferrazzi talks about that in his book. You know, you know, take a, you know, create a list of influencers and go after them. And yes, be proud. I've just started my new organization. I think that's wonderful, and it's also the easiest. You know, like that's your, your first line of, mm-hmm. of, of, of outreach is to people that you know. And once they know, if they're not the right person, chances are, if you have a relationship, they'll also promote you to other people that they know. When you start your, your PR firm as a single practitioner, you, you know, I would hope um, that most people would establish really strong rapport with your clients. And they want you. And now you're beginning to grow your business and bring on, you know, maybe junior executives or, or people to help you. How do mm-hmm. you nicely wean the client off of you to your new team such that your time's freed up to do, you know, the things that you think are most important in stabilizing and growing your business? Well, first off, I don't think you ever wean the client off of you entirely. When your name is on your door, and they have come to you because of your reputation and what you can offer, Mm -hmm. you can never step out of that relationship 100%. So once the client has the reassurance that you are monitoring, you are watching the budgets and the timelines, you are reviewing the materials and adding strategic guidance, then they will be comfortable in accepting a team. I had a team of 20 independent consultants for several years, and every time I introduced a new team member, this would be what what I would say in my first consultation. This is your team. This is your team of 10 highly qualified independent consultants who will work through me. If there are any issues, any problems, call me. I am here for you. Which I think is so wonderful and important. How often did they bypass that person and come directly to you? Did you find either one of you? Have you found that to be an issue? Did you find that you know after you put these into you know that your your <clears throat> did either of you find? That after you put, you know, you've you've grown your staff, you've ensured your clients that yes, you are you you are absolutely a hundred percent responsible for their account. But here are people that they should work through. That sometimes they bypass those people and went directly to you. Yes, it does happen. Joan's absolutely right that you've got to show how much confidence you have in your team. Absolutely, one hundred percent. You are your team members' biggest fan. That sort of uh, endorsement and enthusiasm for them will go a long way. And in the end, you do have to be firm that you are a team, you work as a team, and that these people, in fact, often have expertise in areas greater than your own. And it's my job to give the client that confidence in those people. That's excellent. You know, one way to help ensure that the client does not go around you as the primary contact is to be certain that you have what's called an independent contractor agreement. 
It's a legal document attorneys can drop for you where everyone you partner with signs that document and it protects the client confidentiality and the relationship that you have established with your client. Which, Joan, that is so very important and I hope everyone listening takes special note of that because when you bring people in on a contractor basis and you're exposing them to your client, that client is sharing very sensitive information and yes, that you need to be on under an NDA um, and, and, a, and, a, and a contract to make sure that A, they can't bypass you and B, they keep the information that they've garnered from working within your offices as well as the client, you know, getting sensitive information from the client um, to themselves. Mm-hmm. Extremely, extremely important. Um, you know, let's start talking about, you know, the things that one wouldn't expect, things that help for, you know, the create prosperity for your business, you know, business structure, um, and some common mistakes that people make and how to overcome them. Uh, Joan, would you like to take this? Sure. This is probably the most exciting dynamic that's happening in the PR industry right now, and that is the openness among clients to working with teams of independent consultants. The days when they would hire a PR firm where everyone was employed are starting to fade in favor of networking among qualified professionals who each bring different talents, different capabilities to bear. So what I find so exciting, and I actually changed my business model 100% in 2001 from having a staff to working only with independent consultants, was to bring seasoned professionals into my client. And I've never had any client say, I'm uncomfortable with that. They're very accepting of this dynamic, but it does create a different role for you as a proprietor to network carefully and diligently with people who are not housed in the same building. My consultants all work out of their homes, Mm -hmm. and so we would be having weekly phone conferences and occasionally strategic meetings in person. It's a different work style, but it fits today's thinking. Not only women raising families, but also a lot of men are saying, I don't want an eight-to-five job where I'm commuting to an office. So it's a very exciting time. It fits right in with the theme of today with the Independent Practitioners Alliance is the growth and energy of people who are willing to take the leap and avoid what I call solo burnout by sharing the work with others. Well, and I think, too, you brought up a very good point, Joan, um, and and, and Gail, I'd love for you to chime in on this. I think it's also an interesting way to take, to look at this, because I think, you know, public relations firms, you know, traditional public relations firms, let's say, I mean, phenomenal. I mean, any, any... any business, as long as it has integrity and value, is good. Um, but to be to have a large network of people that you can choose from, because every client is going to have different needs, every client is going to have different um, personalities. So if you can be intimate with a large pool of people that you can choose from, your odds of winning business are probably a lot stronger than someone that just has, you know, one team with one personality type potentially. What do you think, Gail? Well, I think that that is a very valuable resource. That it's um, something that our clients can take enormous advantage of. It gives us much more flexibility, and it's and it's much more cost effective for them. I do think, however, that it's important that you are your strongest brand. That I tell my clients, when you hire me for good or ill, you get me, but you get the sum total of my knowledge, relationships and everything that I can bring to bear on your behalf, that's also the strength of an independent practitioner is that they do not get a large PR staff who they don't know. Uh, And if you do have a strong presence and point of view, that's an asset. Absolutely. Absolutely. Any um, Any other things that people should be wary of? Or just easy pitfalls that people might fall into that just seem like it should be commonplace, but sometimes you don't always see the forest through the trees. Well, I think going back to what we've been just talking about is the idea that you start a business and it's all you can be a pitfall because 
you can't be all things to all people. You can't be in all places at the same time. So if you're being successful, if you're growing a business, and you have three, four, five, six clients, those clients can start to worry a lot about conflicting deadlines and schedules. Everyone wants to think that you work for them only, you know, and we all try to keep that, that perspective alive. So I have found, actually, as I've experimented with different business models, that the, co- the clients are much more comfortable and confident when I do have a team, because then they know if I'm pulled off to a crisis or some issue is brewing, they're not going to be left in the dark, that someone is there who knows them, who can help them. So there's a lot of strength in building a team, and I think people make the mistake of waiting too long to identify those with whom they'd like to partner, and then they're caught in the situation where the client says, you know, we like working with you, but you're too small for us. Right. We're going to to find a larger firm. Right. You need to give them confidence from the beginning that you can handle their work. So you need to be able to create a pool of people that you can work with. But most importantly, it's your reputation on the line. So make sure you're partnering with really good people. And, you know, as Gail said up front, you know, structure your business and create your brand. So your brand is is forefront in everything that you do. And one of the best resources we have is, is right under our nose. It's PRSA. It's people in your local chapter. It is the members of the Independent Practitioners Alliance who you can share ideas with, problems with, and work with. And I have gotten more referrals from my colleagues than from any other source. And it's just a tremendous resource. I can't imagine any independent practitioner not taking full advantage of this network. You know, thank you for saying that. You know, obviously we're big endorsers of of the PRSA here. You know, it's great from professional development to feel part of community. I think, you know, it's all about the bond. Um, You know, I I wish you both the best of luck. I think your contribution to the PRSA is exceptional. And everybody, please make sure uh, that you participate in the sponsored session by the Independent Practitioners Alliance. Let's talk business. Independent practitioners share advice for new and established PR practices. I want to say... I want to say a very, very kind thank you to Gail Falkenthal, president of the Falcon Valley Group, and also to Joan Gladstone of Gladstone International. Uh, you both have been very, very inspired and shared a wonderful wealth of knowledge with our listening audience. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. We hope to see you in San Diego, my wonderful hometown. Thank you for listening to exclusive coverage of the annual Public Relations Society of America's International Conference, only on webmasterradio.fm. Career success. With it comes a better salary, greater responsibility, and industry prestige. Increase your chance for success by attending the PRSA 2009 International Conference. November 7 through 10 in San Diego. Learn from public relations thought leaders as they discuss the industry's hottest issues from social media to social responsibility. Hear keynoters Ariana Huffington, Todd Buchholz, and Bob Garfield break down world events that influence business and affect you and network with industry contacts who can help you get ahead. Log on now to reserve your spot at the PRSA 2009 International Conference. To register, go to www.prsa.org. That's www.prsa.org.